thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Let's pray. We better pray before we head into this message today. So Jesus, thank you, God for being present, for being with us. Thank you, God, for being inhabiting our praises of your people, God, in worship. Thank you for being the God who can speak to every individual heart to hear exactly what you know that we need to hear. Would you help equip us and activate us? Would you help draw us back to you? Would you help speak to all the areas of our doubts or insecurities or the questions we have? Would you give us joy? Would you give us peace? In Jesus' name, and all of Radiant Church said, amen. Amen. So when we talk about persecution today, I think it's really important that we understand right off the bat that the word persecution in the concept of this text means chased. Literal meaning means to be put to flight. And I think that's important because when you think about Christianity and Christians around the globe, there is undoubtedly those that are being chased, that those are being imprisoned and those are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. You can go on to opendoors.org. It's an organization that helps try to pull together data of the persecuted church around the world and ways that you can pray in areas of countries that you can help be a part of or pray in those areas for those people. And And so I think when we look at this verse, we can sometimes think, well, how does this apply to me and my present circumstances? And and that's the question for today. What could persecution for you be personally today in your faith? Because the seven Beatitudes that we've already covered in this series, we've covered all the seven, leads naturally into this eighth one, persecution. Why? Because the more that we take on the characteristics and the more we become like Jesus through all of the Beatitudes we've learned about so far, then the more we will be persecuted. Because the image of Jesus, Christ in us, is actually the thing that is being persecuted and always has been since the beginning of time. You see, persecution follows someone who is all in in their faith. Think about that. In order to be persecuted, you are probably really all in in your faith in order to withstand some element of trial or some element of suffering. And so the overwhelming question that as God was equipping this message today for all of us, the overwhelming question was this, where is the line that we in our own faith are all in for him? Where could it be measured? Where is the line for us personally? Because it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. It's another one of those those beatitudes that seem kind of upside down on the surface. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That doesn't seem quite to add up. Blessed, happy, lucky, fortunate are those who are persecuted, are those who are chaste. That doesn't seem to make sense. 
But the real blessing of persecution is that it forms in us a spiritual transformation into being like Jesus. And of course, the attack will always be to limit us, to put up barriers in front of us, to come and try to distract us from being fully like him. It's the oldest attack in the book. It's the exact attack that happened in the garden. Separate God and man. Get God out of here. Get them away from him. And of course, that will be the same for you and I. I'm gonna guess that nobody was maybe beaten on the way into church today. Maybe a few kids in the back seat of a car were hitting one another. I know that would never happen in my car personally, never, ever. And so maybe no one was actually chased as they walked into the doors this morning. And certainly I don't need to provide an education of how we can read our Bibles and then how we can get our news or see what's happening in the world at CNN, TikTok, Fox, wherever it is that you get news. And you can look at the dichotomy between what God is saying and what is happening in the world. I don't think I need to provide that kind of education. But where could the persecution actually be for you on a personal level is the question. What is it really? Because certainly you could be attacked on the outside. There could be situations, there could be places where it, Jesus is not only not welcome, but he actually is being chased out of. No, God is not welcome here. It could be in relationships. It could be on the outside. And the enemy always wants our focus to be so big on all of the problems, all of the issues, all of the attack on the outside, the situations of our lives. He wants our focus to see those bigger so that inside it feels like God is very small and not able to be fully himself. But our word reminds us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Still, there is another place that you could be persecuted. And it's what's referred to as spiritual warfare. It's when there is things of darkness trying to get into your heart and get into your mind to dilute and pollute the image of God in you. So it comes through us in apathy. It comes through us in pride. It comes through us in being so distracted in our faith. It comes through us in concentrating only on all of the evil that is around in the world. And some say that maybe Maybe only certain Christians are persecuted, but the Beatitudes tell us, and it's in here strategically to remind us all of the Beatitudes. We don't pick from the list. All of them are the mark of a Christ follower. It helps transform us into being more like him all throughout our Bible. In fact, there's people who were persecuted. Daniel was persecuted for righteousness. Job was persecuted as an act of spiritual warfare. His disciples, Jesus's, were persecuted for following him. And Paul was persecuted just for telling his message. But the often thought can become that in our modern day society, we can think in our own Christianity, can't in this day and age, we just be really kind, try to love people the best of our ability, and just hope that people ask us about our faith. 
But there is more. There's more to it, and there's more for us. An adventure to go on in following God where he can do so much more than that. You know, back to school night this year was interesting for me. Those of you that have ever attended a back to school night where the teachers make you sit in those little itty bitty chairs, why do they do that? I, I don't know. They don't have enough big chairs, I guess. But that you sit in the little chairs. I was there um, for my third grader. His teacher was talking about two main concepts that she was going to really hone in and focus on in her class throughout that year. She pointed to the back of her classroom where there was a post, um, a a pin board with post-it notes already starting to form on there. She went to explain that one of the main things that she was going to instill in her classroom was kindness. And then she went on to say every time a student did something kind for another student, the receiving student could write about it and put it on that board. She said by the end of the year, there is going to be layers and layers and layers of sticky notes on that board. And I thought, this woman is so sweet, just like you would hope for a third grade teacher, right? I was like, great, check the box. So she goes on then to point down below the board where there is a bookcase, three shelves deep of binders. And she went on to say, there is no way she could ever throw away all the kind acts that they have done in her class. So for 15 consecutive years, she has made scrapbooks out of all of those for every single year. And I thought, this is so inspiring and completely confirming that I am not meant to be a third grade teacher because I wouldn't have done it. I don't like sticky and I don't really care for clutter. But I thought, wow, then just like a Christian, she flips, she points our attention to the front of the room. There is a PowerPoint presentation with one giant word over the, the, her board, grit. And she goes on to talk about spiritual fitness. She goes on to talk about righteousness in her class. So they are going to correct every error on every piece of paper and homework. They are going to correct every attitude and behavior with one another. She is going to help them do what is right no matter what. And I thought, maybe she's not so sweet. Maybe I could be a third grade teacher. <laughs> and as we become like Christ, we have to remember that he is the lamb that was slain. He is. And he is the lion of Judah. He's both. And we have to remember that just like when he sent his disciples out for the first time, Matthew 10, he talked to them about all of the trials that they were going to face. And he talked to them about the triumph. It's going to be worth it. It's both. And as we continue to do that, I wonder if we can remember all of the attributes, all that our God really is, not what we limit him to. And we could remember that he that lives inside of us is greater. And so we can look at the things that are coming against us. We can look at the things trying to chase and limit us. We can look at the things that are a barrier to maybe your breakthrough coming through and to your family line. And you can remember the authority that God has placed inside of you to say enough. Because he has authority over sin that could try to take us out, over disease, over death, and over every single dark part of our world. He has authority over that. But what stops us? What stops us? 
I think if you think about what would stop us from being blessed by persecuted, what would stop me from being persecuted? And I think there's two answers maybe to this question. The first one is this, is belief. Belief. Because the limit of which you will be persecuted is the depth of how much you actually believe God, who he is and what he says and what he stands for. And the second one I think is this, is self-preservation. You see, self-preservation says my all is not really my all because it is measured. I will only bring you, Jesus, into this situation to this point because I've kind of accepted it and gotten used to it. I will only invite you into these places and these relationships because you're not welcome there and I don't know how to navigate that area of my life very well, so I'm just gonna settle. I am trying to preserve something within myself, but the Beatitudes is being transformed into the image of a God who gave all, all, all of it. And so we have to remember that the real fight actually is not about the persecution. The real fight for you and I is about our spiritual life, the core tenets of what we believe and how much we believe it. Because the war of the ages is actually for lordship of the human heart. And so I don't think that it does not get lost on me that this, that God created us for a perfect relationship with him that could only be made right through him sending his perfect son for an imperfect people so that then we could see him and we could know him and we could live knowing him fully and fullness of life in this life and eternity. And we have to remember that he's the God who became a man in every way. He paid all of the cost. He suffered at the greatest measure. And his, the battle was for his measure of all. And it's the same for you and I, our measure of all. You see, we live in the reality of knowing him. We live in the reality of knowing him so that we realize that all the persecution that might come or that maybe is here, we live in the reality of knowing that there actually is no fear that really does have the power to hold us down. There actually is no amount of death that could make us and rob us. Why? Because the core tenet of our faith is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so the God who comes down and who sees every situation that we might suffer in, every trial that we might have to walk through, every amount of righteousness that we need to pursue, he understands that the God that who came down is the one who is always offering to raise us up. It's always there. And so we have to reorient. We have to reorient. The proof that he's with us has nothing to do with it being easy. We have to reorient the focus that we place on the persecution to the one who overcame. We have to reorient the whole way we look at persecution. And so the proof that he's with us, it has actually nothing to do with it being easy. 
That's not a staple that, oh, God's with me, it's easy, so this must be what he wants me to do. God was very much with Jesus, who was in the perfect will of God. And he suffered up to natural death. And it had nothing to do with it being easy. So oftentimes in our life, the pressure might be here. The fight really might be at our doorstep, something that we need to battle and conquer and discover more about how God can transform us in the process as well. It, we might sometimes have to retreat to lonely, confusing places. And sometimes the cross really might be ours to carry, but it has nothing to do with it being easy. And so I don't think that the real battle started for Jesus with the cross. I think that it started even before that. I think it was him in the garden. I think it was him knowing that his suffering was imminent, that maybe he heard footsteps, maybe he saw torches coming of the soldiers coming to capture him. But it's when he looked to heaven and he said, if you can take this cup for me, God, take it. Why? Because we have a God who sympathizes in our weaknesses. He understands the suffering is real that we face sometimes. And But he said, if, it, if not, if you're not gonna take it, then he looked to heaven and he said, it is not my will, but it is your will that be done. And that is what propelled him to be strong. He wasn't acting out of his own. He was acting out of the Father's will. And so Jesus in this room, I think can kind of put some more grit behind us and remember, and we can surrender lordship again today and remember it's not our will. It is his will that be done on this earth. And so Still some, some Christians will tell me, someone told me once, there's actually no weapon that's formed against us, Rachel. There's no weapon formed against us. And I said, Isaiah 54, 17 doesn't say that. It says, no weapon formed against us will prosper. And so the weapon might be formed, but it's not going to prosper. It's not gonna win. It doesn't get the final say in the end. And some of the best things happen in the most pressurized circumstances. Anybody felt any pressure lately? In the most pressurized circumstances, Jesus was born during a pressurized political time. It was Romans and it was Greeks. It was Alexander the Great conquering much of the discovered world at that time saying, do what feels good to you. Do whatever you want is right in your own eyes. Does it sound familiar? There is nothing new under the sun. It's been the same. And he was doing that. And it's interesting because all throughout history, man decided to make their own gods, just like much of us um, is happening now. And at that time, they would worship suns and moons. Then it morphed. They would worship weather. They would worship mountains. They would worship animals. And time kept going. And then they would take animals and mix them with people. And that would be their version of God. And when all of this was happening through society, over and over again, developing through generations. And then the time of the Greeks came, where if Zeus and Aphrodite's 
All the things that maybe only some of us read about in seventh grade, the rest of us read Cliff Notes, all of those things where they decided to take God or decided to take man and make them because they thought so much of themselves, they were going to make people to be gods. And that is the exact time that God became a man and Jesus was born. Why? Because pressure reveals what has been the plan, what the real purpose is all along. And the pressure that you and I are facing in every circumstance where Jesus is being chased out of who we are, being chased out of the environments we stand in and are a part of, all of that pressure is revealing in us the measure that his all can transform us. Because every time we go through something and something else pops up in us that we don't like, or we were a little bit more rattled than we thought we were. Maybe we were not reacting the way that we knew Jesus would want us to. Maybe all of those things were popping out of you. Then you realize that is the place that he's showing you. And he's showing me where his all can transform us into making us be more like him. But if we stop and we just settle and we don't look at every trial and every circumstance in that view, if we just stand still and get stuck, if your and I's stories starts and are thought of as I, 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 then it'll end in idolatry. It'll end in insecurity. It'll end in inadequacy. It'll tell us we're completely independent or we're completely incapable. But your and I's stories, all of creation's stories, starts and ends in him. He's the author and he's the finisher. He is both. And so our belief as a Christian, it is certain. And our self-preservation as a Christ follower, is just an oxymoron. It doesn't go with our faith. And so it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of righteousness. So you see, biblical persecution is just really just a sequela of being right in a world that has gone horribly wrong. It's just a sequela of that. And have you ever thought that you were right but maybe it turns out you were wrong. Maybe just a slight miscalculation made you wrong. No, never you. No, that's right. We'll pray for you after service. And so, you know, Nathan and I, our first, our first house, we, um, he had a few vacation days that he spared to paint our kitchen. Has anybody ever painted a kitchen? You realize, yes, moans, yes. You realize that it is not as carefree and tropical and easy as maybe painting a dining room where you're just rolling and careless, right? If you're painting a kitchen, it's kind of like filing your taxes. It is very intricate and there's a lot of cutting in and you're trying not to mess everything up. We picked out a color and um, we painted it. When you say we in marriage, it really just means one person, but you claim it as your own. So we painted the kitchen, took a lot of work. It was very hard. And we painted it. I came home from work that next day or that day. And, you know, it just wasn't quite right. And I knew um, he had done a lot of work. I felt bad, but it just wasn't quite right. It was supposed to be a tan color. It turned out to be this sandy peach color. And so my very patient husband said, it's fine. I'll paint it again tomorrow. And I thought, what a guy. And so we went to pick out another color. The next day I came home from work. And at this point, the whole thing was painted again. 
And at this point, I was extremely concerned because I did not realize that he was colorblind. The only plausible reason why he would continue to paint the whole kitchen that color was if he was colorblind because it was orange. It looked like a bad spray tan. And for any of you women that are as fair as I am, you cannot live that way. And you do not go out of the house. No one can see that. And so it is bad. And so he decided, you know what, this is too, this is too tough. And so He's like, I am scrapping this color and let's just settle on a new color. So we decided to settle on gray. It was too hard to work out the nuance of the shades. So we just painted it gray. Well, we did. He did. Uh, painted it gray. And in fact, we are actually still married and only went through a few months of marriage counseling after that moment. But just kidding. Um, but nonetheless, we decided to settle on gray. And I think there's a lot of gray things that are presenting itself in our world. But it is important to us to always remember there really is right and there really is wrong. There really is good. There really is bad. There really is light. There really is dark. And all of the gray issues that come to us over and over again can be a delusion from the enemy to mix in half-truths of darkness and distort our truth because he does not have to get us to forsake all of our truth. He just needs to mix in a few things that aren't truth to steer us on a different path. And we have to remember that we are a people that are standing for righteousness, but it is not about I think right, my opinion's right, my viewpoint is right. It cannot be for us about right issues, right opinions, right politics. It's not about any of that. None of this world is actually about those things. It is about and created for the righteous one, Jesus, his 100% right truths, we can trust. His 100% right views of the situation, we can trust. His 100% right ways that he'll lead us into if we listen and if we can follow him. He is the one that is righteous and what this is all about. And oh, that we have access in this country to religious freedoms that we don't always take advantage of, that others would be unburdened by if they could do in their countries. And so we have to to remember that Jesus is not saying that we're actually blessed because of all the persecution that's coming, that we're blessed because of the persecution. No, that's not what he says. It says we are blessed because of righteousness. Our focus has to be on righteousness. Why? Because we have to remember that being against something is passive. You can sit down all day and be against something. No, I'm against this. No, I don't believe in that. No, I'm not going to follow that. No, I'm against all of those things. And that's good, but we forget that we are for a lot of things. And so we are for God, loving him with all of our soul, mind, and strength. We are for other people. And being for something calls us to action. You have to do something. And so we serve and we give and we serve again and we pray and we turn the other cheek when someone offends us. We do the hard work of restoring a relationship that we've given up on. We put ourselves into uncomfortable situations over and over again in order to share our faith because being for something is active. We are a people that have to move. 
And so for any of you that have completed uh, Radiant DNA in the past yeah, maybe year or so, you know that at the end of the class that there's a lunch where we can kind of share stories. We can hear more about your story. You can hear more about David Renata's story, that kind of thing. Just kind of have another moment to say, what's your next step? Why are you here? What's God doing in your life? Those types of things. It's really, it's my favorite thing. But there was a couple a few months ago, Lisa and Terry Drake. It's really interesting is he works for a running shoe company and she works for a running or a sock company that you could run in apparently. And someone in the class said they're a perfect pair, which I thought was very fitting. And so I know that's how I left too. And so it was great. And so what's really interesting is at one point he actually tried out for um, the Olympic time trials for running at one point. And she runs, literally organizes the hospital on the hill marathon, the Kansas City Zoo marathon. And so it was a bittersweet experience for me because instantly I knew our relationship was completely over, even though they were delightful people because they were probably going to try to get me to run. And I do not run only if I am chased with a weapon. That's it. And so that's how it went. But he was telling, they were telling their story and they went on to talk about a daughter who was following hard after God and a son who had stopped. And in the middle of the lunch, the running dad stopped to give a plea for the son who had stopped running altogether. And I'm sure that he's not alone and you and I are not alone in the fact that you can look around over the past several years and look around and say, well, they were following Jesus. Whatever happened to so-and-so, whatever happened to them or to someone else you think, well, that's the thing that took them out in their faith, that issue, that, that, that thing, that's what took them out, seriously. And to someone else, maybe they've just slowed down. Maybe they've just kind of stopped a little bit. And to a measure, I think that could be you and I too. But we have to remember that if a way to look like Jesus is being persecuted, and being persecuted means to be chased, then we have to be a people always on the move. And so we carry him to the exact relationships, the exact issues, the exact places that are trying to chase him out because we are a people of his presence and we carry him on the move. And we also have to remember that it's time for us to run again, that it's time for us to run again, because to be chased, you need to run. And all you have to do is run. All you have to do is run. In fact, a lot of us can get really good at looking at all of the past, all of the ways we ran in the past, all of the ways we loved him and served him in the past. But the thing about running is if you look backwards, you will either slow down or you will stumble. And so we are but a vapor and all we have is to look forward in our faith and to do the mission that God has called us to do for the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all the decades before for us, it is our time to run. But when did we stop? When did we get offended and kind of settle down because we're disappointed? When did we stop? When did the passion that we have for Jesus maybe just dim just a little bit? When did we look at all the things in this world that are coming against us more than about who we're running to? When did we let the weight and the burdens of this world burden us down so where we can't even think about running? We can't even think about doing something else good for God. Don't give me something else to do because all of these other things are consuming us. But we used to run and their future 
is going to be heralded by those who run ahead in their faith and to proclaim Jesus as God in this country and around the world. And so we carry him to every situation that we go to. But still so many people will say, that was for a different season. I'm a little bit more tired now and I'm a little bit older. And I will say, no, no. Because if you have breath in your body, if you have a heartbeat beating inside of you, if you have any measure of hope in the Lord, then Isaiah 40, 30, 40, 31 says, you can run and not grow weary. He can renew your strength. You can walk and not faint. You can keep going. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, our world, our world always says, preserve yourself. None of this is real. None of this really matters. Just enjoy your life. Do whatever feels good to you. There's nothing new under the sun. But God always says again and again and again, there is something else worth living for despite what's right in front of us right now. And our world is really good at that message, but some of us count ourselves out. When I was a kid, my dad told me this. He said, Rachel, you're nobody until you have wounds. And I thought, what does he mean? And he said, you're nobody until you have wounds because your scars have worth and they have value. It's actually shaping you into who you're going to become. And it will be valuable to you one day. And we have to remember out of all the heroes of the faith that we read about in the Bible, that persecution was a part of their story too. And we have to remember that Paul, however you imagine Paul, that Paul was beaten. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was imprisoned. He was left for dead out of one of the cities. He was wounded. But what did he do? He got up and he kept on walking. He kept on going into the next city and the next city to stay on mission for Jesus. And Jesus was wounded. He was persecuted. He was wounded carrying his cross up the hill to Calvary. He was wounded. But just because you're wounded doesn't mean you're out. Because on the third day, the whole tenet of our faith is that he lives. He rose again. And he came back and will come back again with scars in his hands, holes in his side. And he will be the mark of the one who overcame. That's his mark. And it's ours too, if we stay on mission for him. And one day it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's reminding us for one day that we are going to be around his throne and we are going to declare him worthy and worthy and worthy. So do you know what we can say in faith right now? We can say it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to stay on mission for him into all of the fullness of calling that he's called us to. Because we don't follow a God who doesn't sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows exactly that we're an imperfect people. It's no surprise to him. That's why he came. And he we is a God who has cried real tears. He is a God who has actually been chased and been persecuted himself. He's a God who 
who has felt the weight of his own cross, why he stayed on the move on mission for you and I. And he reminds us that we are blessed because of persecution for righteousness. And he also reminds us that the testing of our faith works what? Persecution? No, that's not how he says it because that's not the focus. He says we are blessed when we are tested because it works perseverance and perseverance builds endurance. And endurance tells me as a Christ follower that I can run. I can keep pursuing him in my faith with him. James 1.12, it says this, it says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, it's Ephesians 6 all come to life where it's actually the struggle really isn't about the flesh and blood. It's not actually about any of the outward attacks that distract us. The real struggle is against all the darkness in this age and that God says he knows that and he actually equips us with the armor of God. He equips us with the helmet of salvation that we are secure for all eternity. He equips us with knowing that the belt of truth is what holds all the armor up again. So he gives us his word that we can read anytime we want. He gives us feet prepared with the gospel of peace. Why? Because we are a people always on the move carrying him. He gives us a breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because he knows we're going to be persecuted, but it's going to be actually for righteousness that covers us. His righteousness. And he does all of this. And at the end, he says in Ephesians 6, at the end, he says, having all to do to stand, then you stand firm then. And I think when you think about that verse, when you think about Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Jesus is a great example of that. And so is Stephen. Stephen is in Acts 6. You can read it this week. And Stephen was the first martyr, the first mover of that movement of giving your all, literally your life for your faith in Jesus. And he was one of those chosen as one of the seven to, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, the Holy Spirit came and it was a mega church on steroids exploding. And they had to figure out how to organize all these people and divide resources for widows and orphans. And they had to do all of that. And so they brought him before the Sanhedrin, the exact people maybe that were also the ones that condemned Jesus to death. And he did not stand there and say, here's all of the things that I've done right, because it's not about that. We'll never do enough things right. He went on to say, here is how God had this whole plan of a sin problem. And there was not a priest, there was not a prophet, there was not a judge or a king that could solve this problem. And so God had to come down himself because we have a God who deals with it himself. And so God became a man and it was Jesus. Unfortunately, you killed him. And it said, as he said this, you can read it all in Acts 6, that his face shone like an angel. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It was coming near. They took him out of that area. They took him out and they began to stone him, to throw rocks at him, to murder him. He was literally all in, in his belief, in his faith. And he was being stoned as the first 
martyr for Jesus. And it says he looked up and every other place in your Bible, it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And here it says he looked up, he saw heaven open because there was the kingdom of God under his persecution for righteousness. And he said, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Why? Because he's reminding Stephen, Stephen, you moved I moved too, and I see you. I see you standing the exact path that I walked on. I see your suffering. And he says that to us again today. He sees what you're going through. He knows the fears you have of how you're gonna raise your children in this world. He understands that there's a lot of tumultuous things where it feels like there's no way you can stay being a Christian because he is being chased out of every environment. But he reminds us having all to do to stand. We will stand firm then with all of the armor that he has given us and we will pursue righteousness no matter what the cost is. But we have to be on the move. We have to be on the move. We have to understand that all it takes to get back on the move is another step and another step and another step and that that's what he's called us to do. There's a verse in Revelation 22, 17. It says this, it says, the spirit of the churches say, come and let all who hear, he says, come. And to let all who are thirsty, he says, come. And the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So what does that remind us? It's always an extended hand our God has. It's always an invitation into something more. He never leaves us and just forsakes us someplace. He always speaks to us, you can come. And so when we feel flat, he says, you can come. And when we feel thirsty, because we've been running around with a lot of burdens and cares in this world, he says, no, 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 you can come. And when we're caught up into earning our way and trying to do all the good things for him, he reminds us, no, no, it's a free gift of the water of life. He says, come. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, we say to you this morning, Jesus, we come. We come to you. We are a people on the move. We are a people that will stand for your righteousness because you're the one speaking it to us. You're the one doing it in us. You're the one who has conquered it all. And so Jesus, would you equip each and every single person to having all to do to stand? Would you stand? Would you get back on the move through each and every single one of our lives? God, I speak to those who we have settled for faith that is weaker than what we want. God, you're inviting us to come, to get back on the move. God, I speak to all of us who are wounded, who are counting ourselves out because we've been through some stuff. And you say you are wounded, but you're not out. You can come. And God, we, I speak to every person who feels so burdened and distracted by all the things that are in this world, that we say, come, you can run, you can let those things go because we are but a vapor and we give our whole lives to you for your will be done and your kingdom come through us. And Jesus, for anyone in this room who is deciding today that they will follow you for the first time or they are coming back to follow you again, Jesus, would you, you are inviting them to raise their hands and to say, I'll do that. So all across this room, 
If you wanna say yes to Jesus for the first time or again in your life to rededicate, would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. So Jesus, we come to you believing that you are the son of God. We come to you knowing that you were a perfect God sent for an imperfect people, that you died our sinful death, that you were buried, but you were resurrected and you live, that your spirit has come to empower and to fulfill us and that we are a people on the move. We surrender our lives to you and we declare God, that if we have breath in our lungs and if we have a heartbeat in our body, then you're reminding us there is more race ahead of you. There is more running to do and we run to you, the God who draws near. In Jesus' name, amen.